Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of What's Happening in Travel. It is Thursday, March 18th, 2021. And I'm here with my buddy. Bushro. And I am Kerwin. And uh, if I sound sleepy, it's because I just got up. <laughs> I can't get used to this daylight saving time. It's just, it's really annoying. Besides I had a backache. So that's why, that's why if I sound sleepy, that's the reason. Hopefully I'll wake up before the episode. <laughs> and how are you doing today, Kishore? <laughs> I'm all right. Excellent. It's a nice cold day. Yeah, so. it's 52 degrees Fahrenheit, which is like cold Celsius. Perfect. No, it's too cold. I my jacket. I was trying not to, not to put the jacket out, but I'm like, it's cold. So, um, and yesterday it was 80 degrees. It's 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 crazy, but we had a, a front come through and the weather just went crazy. Um, so what do you have as your background today, Kasha? Um, I have the new triple seven nine landing in uh, Seattle at Everett after a test flight. Oh, cool. Um, are we ever going to see that with passengers on board? Twenty twenty four, I think. Twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty. Is that that's the plans, huh? Yeah. Oh boy, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure they're gonna get a, a, a good deal on it too, right? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I really don't know. Oh boy, it, maybe it, later on when the orders start, when they dry up. Yeah, but is the funds are the only ones signed up for it so far? No, no, they have about six carriers. Oh, okay. A lot of them have delayed them, like Cathay Pacific, uh, but BA has them. Emirates has them, Etihad has Qatar, um, I think, is it ANA uh, as well? Uh, and Singapore Airlines. Yeah, right. well, well so, 2023, huh? yeah, hopefully the industry will start to pick up as it seems to be. And hopefully they will get it right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, they've had a lot of time to, to figure it out and, it, I hope yep. they've, and hopefully they've learned Yep. Um, from all the screw-ups that happened before. Um, oh. You know, we'll see. All right. And I have the A350. Um, this was taken at Farnborough uh, when it was um, introduced a few years ago. Um, or maybe that was Paris. I can't remember now. <laughs> One of them. <laughs> um, and it was doing a flyby. And I took uh, this picture as it was coming over. Um, all right. And the reason why I have the A350 is because we have a story about the A350. So this is going to be the aircraft other and airport episodes. So, um, cause we talked about all the airlines in episode 73. So we're going to jump right into it. And, um, uh, the, the first story we have is talking about the leasing industry because most of the airlines, I'm not sure if everyone's familiar, they don't really buy their planes outright. They come through um, leasing companies and there's a lot of these leasing companies. So what's the update that you have, Kusha? Um, So much like car leasing, mm-hmm. um, automobile leasing, aviation leasing is a huge business. And there have been two um, larger than most uh, competitors. There's Air Lease, that's A-E-R, based of all places in Ireland. 
Oh, well, of course. Um, <laughs> and then exactly. I guess the favorable tax exactly. uh, uh, regimen compared to the rest of the EU. And there's GCAS, which is uh, the General Electric Capital Aviation Services based in the US. There's also ILFC, right? Well, it used to be, but okay. that was taken over by AirCap in 2013. Ah, okay. uh, by um, it was it was headed by Stephen Udvar Hazi. Ah, um, museum guy. So yeah, <laughs> say that again. That's the museum guy, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so um, well, AirCap and uh, GCAS have uh, merged uh, last week. Wow. Uh, to form an industry, and as the word they used is a behemoth. It's going to be four times as large as the nearest competitor, which is called Avalon, which is a very unusual name for a subsidiary of the Chinese HNA group, which includes Hainan Airlines. Hmm. Um, but this is news because um, this could trigger a rapid consolidation of the air leasing industry because it's been pretty fragmented in the past, but yeah. Airlease, for instance, has taken over three companies um, starting in 2005 with uh, Debis Air Finance, uh, in 2009 with Genesis Lease, and in 2013 with ILFC. Yeah. So this um, GCAS acquisition uh, accounts for the fourth uh, merger that Airlease has uh, done in the last um, 15 years. Uh, so together, they're going to have um, about 2,000 aircraft in their uh, inventory, 900 engines, and I didn't realize this, 300 helicopters. Oh. So um, um, the CEO of Aircap, of course, says that... Um, this is not about uh, scale, but about a significant revenue, cash flow, and earnings growth. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but there probably was a background reason for this because GE is under a lot of pressure from the stock market because mm -hmm. their stock prices tanked. And they have been asked, or they have been essentially ordered to shed a lot of debt. And so by doing this, they accomplish that. Um, mm. They become the uh, largest shareholder in Airlease with uh, Aircap, brother, with a 46% uh, stake in the new company. Um, and they also get to nominate two directors to the board. Mm. Another important reason that this was so important to Aircap is that GE has a lot of um, narrow body leases coming online in 2022 to 2024. And that's important because the industry is expected to recover by that time. Right. Um, so the narrow, the, the narrow body purchases uh, will be much in demand by airlines seeking to cut their costs because yeah. they're just more efficient than uh, older uh, aircraft. And um, in line with the trend towards uh, more narrow body operations uh, again versus like wide body, which are just too big to fill in this current uh, economic environment. 
Okay. So um, they expect shareholders to approve this deal in the May uh, AGM, the annual general meeting. But what I think is important is that they require antitrust approval from about 20 countries. I was remember that these companies yeah. lease aircraft to airlines around the world. Mm -hmm. So all of them have to agree that this is not anti-competitive. Right. Which but uh, uh, the CEO of Aircap is very confident, as he says, it will get them. Um, and they expect to have the deal closed in the fourth quarter of this year, 2021. Okay. But um, this, as I said earlier, puts a lot of pressure on Avalon, which now becomes the second largest because um, as a subsidiary of the HNA group, the Hainan Airlines group, uh, which is in a lot of trouble itself, they will almost be forced to try and um, mimic these economies of scale and merge with other uh, companies. But um, there will be a shakeout in the industry. But yeah. not analysts are too upset about it for some reason because uh, they think it was well, it was needed and overdue. So yeah. we will have to see. But in terms of like um, the antitrust thing, um, I thought that was significant because what this means is that um, this company can buy all the buy most of the planes. Yeah, and, and raise the rates and raise the rates to the airlines, right? Um, yeah, yeah, something smells a little bit here, but unless there's some sort of guarantee, but those, it's I mean, those can never be trusted. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Of course, as, as, as the listeners, people are like, well, why should I care about this? Well, if it costs the airlines more to lease the planes, um, then it's they have hitting to get, you. Yeah. They got to get the money from somewhere. So the airfares are going to be higher at some point. Um, yep. So that's that's how this affects you. So uh, you might think it's like, well, this is stupid. Why, why are we even telling you about it? Well, that's why. <laughs> yeah, these companies are not doing this through the goodness of their hearts. Exactly. Um, and it's just like, uh, I don't know, sometimes you hear um, in, in, the, in the industry, people say, oh, you know, the airplane flies to one place. And then the, uh, the, the, I guess the lessor goes and picks it up because um, the, the airlines haven't paid. <laughs> yes. And this is how it affects you because then you can't get back to where you go because you can see the plane out there, but it's no longer belongs to the airlines so they can't use it. <laughs> and this has been happening a lot. Yes. <laughs> so when the aircraft is uh, uh, effectively uh, held hostage. Right. In... Yeah. Um, foreign country. <laughs> I know there was a Jet Airways 777 uh, in Amsterdam uh, that was held, I think, for well over a year. And then KLM essentially bought it yeah. for pennies on the dollar, as they say. So can you imagine if, if you're the pilot, uh, you know how they, um, they repossess cars? Yes, it should have a. We should have a show about repossessing airplanes. <laughs> I think no, that should be a very funny show, right? <laughs> I guess it's much less than cars, but, um, uh, but yeah, but you know, the pilot yeah. shows up and he's like, "Hand it over." <laughs> I'm 
So that would be interesting to know. Um, but yeah, so it's it's good to get a, a little background about this because it's not the everyday thing that you think about, right? As a consumer, yeah. you just show up and you jump on the plane and you're like, oh, it's good. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the background. And and so now, you know, uh, you know, some of the airlines, if they have their own money, money or their own financing, they can finance their own planes. But for the most part, it goes through a leasing company. Which is much cheaper for airlines that don't have a lot of capital outlay possible. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. And then um, like I could say saying they're based in Ireland because that's one of the places that give really good um, tax breaks on these airplanes. And that's why you see a lot of these airplanes will have um, the EI is the EI registration registration yeah. because they're registered in Ireland and then they do the tax thing and um, and then it goes off to the, to the country where it's supposed to go and eventually they change to a local registration on the plane. And as we're talking oh. about registration, when you see airplanes, every single airplane has a, a registration number. And a unique registration. registration number. And the first letter or the first two uh, characters, which is a number and a letter, um, belongs to that particular country. So the United right. States is N, um, Canada is C, uh, the UK is um, G. G. I was thinking B, but B is uh, China. China. Uh, and like um, Jamaica is six Y. Okay. And Singapore is like I think they're nine D. Nine V. Yeah. Yeah. So um, whenever you go around the world, um, you'll see the registrations. If you're watching a movie, the movies are always the good ones because Mexico is X A. And you're watching the movie and you see a helicopter and it's XA and it's and it's based in like uh, the movie is based in some foreign country. You're like, nope, they're in Mexico. <laughs> uh, you know, are there and you, if you see it all the time. So yep. and what you can do with these registration numbers that you can go in and put it on the Internet and search and it'll tell you uh, most most of them are public. And it'll tell you all about registration, like, you know, how old is the airplane, who owns it, and things like that. Who's owned it in the past? Because it's amazing how many times aircraft and uh, helicopters change owners. Yep, it's, 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 uh, oh. it's quite amazing. So um, there's oh. a bit of trivia for you this morning. <laughs> oh. uh, is that all you had on the leasing? Yes. All right. Yes. Um, and I have the Airbus A350 in the back. And I think this was the, this is a 1000. Uh, no, it's a 900. Is it? I was trying to see yep. if it's, oh, it's only two track, two tracks. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to look at it to see if it was one or two. Uh, yeah, because when they, when, when they had it at the show, it wasn't, the 1000 wasn't mm. launched yet. This was a 900. So, um, all right. So Christian is going to tell us about uh, freighters because freighters, as you can tell, is a thing now because it's of a huge business. Right? It's, it's, matter of fact, a lot of the airlines are staying afloat just because they're carrying cargo. All right, what do you got? So uh, Boeing is the undisputed king of freighters <laughs> from the <laughs> 747 uh, to the 767 now, and of course the 777, which is the 200 um, LR, which is the 200 fuselage with the uh, 300 ER wing. Okay. So they have sold 202 uh, 
777 freighters versus the Airbus offering of the 330 and 28. So um, it's like almost a tenfold uh, advantage that Boeing has in okay. freighter sales. So Airbus has, um, I think, long tried to bolster sales of the 330, which is the only real cargo offering they have to the state as a, as a new build. Um, and now they are targeting uh, Boeing with a potential 350 freighter. So the Airbus 350 being converted to um, a freighter. Mm-hmm. Now the 350, um, the 900 is essentially a 777-200 competitor. But what I found intriguing is that it's they are not just remarketing the 350-900. They are extending the 350-900 by a little bit, but not as long as the 350-1000. Oh, interesting. The details are a little sketchy <laughs> right now because Airbus is doing this behind the scenes. They are gauging airline interest in a potential Airbus 350 freighter, and they're looking for 50 firm orders before they launch. So there's clearly some reason why this is going to be an entirely new aircraft, but not a new aircraft. Mm. Because it's going to have a length that's in between the 350-900 and the dash 1000. But it's not that simple. Uh, Despite an expected two to $3 billion US dollar um, uh, developmental cost, what they have to overcome is the technological barrier of cutting out a cargo door. Because remember, the fuselage of a 350 is composite. Mm-hmm. And apparently, um, cutting out a section is a very challenging uh, job. But then I thought about, then how do they do the windows? All right. But um, clearly, I'm not getting the entire picture. It's a different so, structure, smaller. It's a, yeah, it's a different structure, right? But the technology should be the same, right? Yeah. But clearly I'm missing something. So that's one big hurdle that they have to um, overcome. It's how to preserve the structural integrity of composites um, and how to cut uh, a composite fuselage accurately and uh, safely. So why didn't they just not do a conversion? and just make them from scratch. Well, that's the problem, right? Well, that's the problem. How do you construct that? But but the, uh, but I'm confused, right? Because if you if you con- remember if you, the- but if you're converting it, I could understand because you know, they're structural. But see they're not converting it. Right. right? Because- they're making it from scratch and it shouldn't be a problem. Right. That's what you would think. Just design it with a hole in the side. Well, apparently that's <laughs> a very simplistic way of looking at things because it's it's not that easy um, so, to uh, to do this. Sounds- As I said, Airbus has been very sketchy about details, but if they get the required fifty orders, I guess we will have more information. But I'm very curious to know why. Um, they just can't remarket the 350-900 or the 1000. So this just sounds to me like they're doing a little marketing. So but they are. Um, well, right. They, they want people to start talking about it. Because uh, Airbus is a very smart, 
but they're a very smart company. Right? It's just like, how do you not know how to put a put a hole in the side of the plane? So I make it still structurally sound. <laughs> <laughs> so come on. Not a hole exactly, but yeah. Well, you know what I mean. Right, you built the 330 freighter. So it's not, it's not that they don't know how to build. Freighter. No, 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 no. 330 is um, aluminum, right? So well, that's been done well, for years. But still, right? I mean, but Airbus is all because I saw that at the at the nose of the 330 freighter, it's it's different. Right, the underside. Yeah, it has like a little belly thing, and it has something to do with how the landing gear is positioned because it's yeah. lower. And you know why that is? Well, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read it, but I want you to say it. Go. So, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I've noticed it. I doubt very few other people have. Well, if you look at a 330 or a 340, uh-huh. it's not exactly horizontal. It always has a, a low stance. The nose is a little higher yes. than the tail. It is. The, um, and uh, because this is a freighter, they cannot have a sloping aircraft. Now, it's very, very slight. But given that these pallets um, roll, they had to have it horizontal. Exactly. So in order to raise the nose of the aircraft, they had to lengthen the nose wheel. So to lengthen the nose wheel, they had to increase the space allocated for the nose wheel when it retracts into the fuselage. Which is good. So um, there wasn't enough space for that. Um, So that's why they had to um, build that fairing, which is right under the cockpit, on the other side of a 330. So it looks a little pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) it is quite funny how it looks you're like there's a little belly on the plane (laughs) um well it's kind of the same reason why on the on the boeing planes it has a little bow uh where the undercarriage is Um, the bow yes if you you look underneath the uh the triple sevens it has that little extra piece um, so it, it, it's it's not completely flat. <clears throat> um, move, no, shift your head a little bit. Uh, left or right? Left. Oh. Oh, you can't you can't see it on there. Uh, but but you, you the, the next thing you look at the plane, you'll see you'll see what I mean. It's it's a little piece that's uh, that's out. It just it, it looks fatter in a, in essence. It's not because it has to, has, to, has to accommodate the landing gear under there. Yeah. Okay. It, it it's not as it's not as as pronounced. But it's perfectly as, streamlined, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. all your dynamic and all that. It's not as pronounced as the um the three fifty or the three thirty. The three thirty. Yeah. Yeah. The three thirty freedom. Yeah. But so I just think that Airbus is just they're like, oh, you know, we want to get in the news, so let's let's put let's push this out there so people actually start talking about the three fifty freighter because obviously they're going to figure it out, right? And yeah. Obviously, it's going to be awesome because they're Airbus and but, they had to do this. I'm sure Boeing is not very happy about this at all, though they have to expect it. They it's have a, to. It's a competitor, and we know who's going to buy the first one. <laughs> so now there's talk about Boeing, about this ploy by Airbus being force, forcing Boeing into um, developing the 777-8X, mm-hmm. which would be the uh, natural development of the 777-200. Okay. Greater. Yeah, and given Boeing strained resources right now, um, that may not be something that is feasible in the near term. But Boeing may have no choice. 
So this may be a very, very smart strategic move on the part of Airbus. Of course, competition is good for the soul. Yep. You, you got to do it. Yep. Right? Otherwise, we don't get any innovation. <laughs> so, I mean, you see it in cars, right? Because Mercedes-Benz yep. and BMW, and then look what Lexus and Infiniti and Acura did to them. They made them even better. Yeah. And Boeing will just whine, but they laid off a bunch <laughs> of people. <laughs> Uh, well, wine, yeah, wine is a kind of a, a good word because like an engine, right? Um, Look what but, they did to the uh, Bombardier CS300. Yeah, yeah. So they whined and bitched and moaned about it. And look what success it's got since then. Exactly. So they, they just have to do something. Maybe they can go hire all the people that they got rid of. Uh, and rehire them, you mean. Re- rehire them and figure it out. I mean, that's just how it is, right? You're trying to cut costs and all that, but innovation is still going on and you got to keep up because if you don't keep yep. up, um, you know, in a few years, you'll have nothing to compete and, uh, and everybody will buy an A350 freighters. But, you know, it was kind of silly for them to think that they would have the market forever. True, true. You know, and I'm sure- and Boeing the- is a smart company. I mean, look at the products they make. Yeah, I mean, they, except for the rushed 737 Max, yeah. they're amazing. Yeah, I mean, they've, you know, they've made some stupid errors and probably egotistical leaders. Um, yep. You know, because everyone is always like, we're the biggest, we're the this. And I'm like, I don't care if you're the biggest. I just want you to make a product that I'm proud of. Uh, but, you so, know, we're, we're, we're not sitting in the boardrooms when they have these meetings. Um, all right. So stay tuned. Yes, yes. But so the freighter will be. Did they say when they would have it available? No. Mm. It all depends on when they get their uh, fifty orders. Uh, oh, so. you mean you mean once they figure out how to put a hole in the side of it? <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> that too. Um, okay, so we, we're switching gears slightly. We're going to just talk about. Um, We've talked about the IATA travel pass or some type of travel pass at least the last three episodes. Um, What's the latest now? And well, this was just sort of an update. Yeah. Um, And slowly but surely, this IATA travel pass uh, seems to be gaining traction among the world's airlines. Yeah. And from my preliminary uh, research, if you can call it that, this is by far the most uh, trialed travel pass in the world. So I got a list of the airlines testing it currently. Mm-hmm. There's um, Qatar, there's Air Serbia, there's a in Japan, Singapore Airlines, Gulf Air, Air Baltic, uh, Malaysia Airlines, Rwanda Air in Africa, Air New Zealand, Copa in Central America, Emirates, Etihad, the IAG Group, which is BA. Vueling and Iberia and soon mm-hmm. to be Aer Lingus and Qantas. So they've got a pretty, um, pretty established group. Yes. Testing it out. Makes sense. So um, mm-hmm. I can't help but think that this is going to be the dominant travel um, help, health certificate yeah. app. Well, it, um, it makes sense because IATA is the one that controls Tomatic. Right. The world's airlines. Yeah, so and and Tomatic is the is the system that holds all the rules and regulations for entering a country, including health and visa. So yeah, because if you're watching the BBC of late, the last two days, um, this has been a headline story for them. How Europe is very strongly considering 
requiring this as like almost a mandate that passengers have to fulfill the requirements of these travel apps before they're allowed to board. Yeah. Well, right. well, it's, I don't know why they're making such a big deal about it now. Well, I guess it's because of coronavirus, right? But yes, yes. But it's all because of coronavirus. Yeah, but we've always, air, airlines have always checked this stuff. People think that it's not because they're just walking through, but it's because the places that they're traveling to doesn't have any health requirements. They come into the United yes. States, there are no health requirements. Uh, there's like a tuberculosis, but only if you're if you're um, migrating or emigrating to the United States. Um, but people don't think about it. If you go into Canada, they don't look at you and go, hmm. Is your yellow fever certificate. Right. right, so you don't need all that stuff. But if you go into countries, um, some countries in Africa, not all, some countries in South America, not all, um, you do, and some in Asia, you do require uh, malaria shots and you know all these kind of shots and, and the yellow fever and things like that. Mm. So people haven't thought about it. This is probably, uh, I guess coronavirus is probably one of the things that every country requires something um, from someone. You know, whether you have a vaccine or you've had it or whatever they whatever the requirements are, and so. And they're making a big deal out of it, but it's something they should have done a long time ago. They should have come up with, my yellow card is tattered. <laughs> they should have come up with something to handle this. And I assume that they're working on um, something that will be global. And so- I hope so. I really I, hope so. Yeah, ideally, what would happen is that you go to your doctor, you get the, you get the thing, and the doctor accesses this database and uploads all the information into this database. So I, as a patient, don't touch it because you don't want me to right. as, a, as a patient. So only doctors should have access to this thing, whatever this thing is. Um, you have to, you as a traveling passenger have to upload this information to the appropriate location. All right, and that's stupid because it shouldn't be like- Why? That. Well, because I can fake it. Well, there has to be some what? What's going to yeah. stop you from faking it? They they need to they need to. I know you brought up. this up earlier. Yeah, yeah. And that's why if the doctors do it, um, it's fine. They just. It's not that easy to get a hold of your doctor to do that. I mean, everyone says that on TV. Ask your doctor if this is right for you. It is not that easy <laughs> to do that. The well, most the aggravating ads ever. <laughs> That's fine. And why should I ask my doctor if it's right for me? Why are you marketing drugs to me? I don't care what drugs it is. Market it to my doctor. Yeah, it's it's really stupid. And they make a lot of money off of this, the TV stations. Being so bombarded with these ads. Yeah, it's uh, we're going off on a tangent. But yes, I agree with you. It's, <laughs> it's so annoying, especially when I go visit my mom and we watch daytime TV. I'm like, oh, God. I don't need that drug. Mom, you don't need that drug. And so it's funny. My mother called me. She was like, I'm not feeling too well. Can I try this on what you were watching TV, weren't you? <laughs> and they're so inane. Yeah. All these so. happy couples holding hands. And, <laughs> oh. Yeah. And now, but it's anyway, getting, it's now it's getting really weird because with all the diversity thing, it's always like a black person and a white person. <laughs> and I'm like, Okay, how about two black people? I don't understand. <laughs> and I'm going off on a tangent, but this is really annoying. Um, 
but so so the whole thing with, with this though is um was like yes so it needs to be done by a medical professional and they can do this no they, i don't think that's practical because yeah, are you I, going to call your doctor every time you want to travel and you need a, a negative covid test or no. call no but how are you but, going to do it but somebody needs to be able to administer that negative covid test i know they're putting it in right. our, in our hands Right. So we can do it ourselves, but um, it needs to be done by whatever facility. So whatever facility right. is this they issue the original certificate. Right, but they need to be, when they're issuing that certificate, it needs to go up to the IATA system and say, yep, Kerwin is good to go, Kershaw is good uh, to go. Say, would you trust them? I wouldn't. Uh, yes, because I, because I have the test as well, right? So I have that. And I'm not throwing my paper away. Because God, no, my we phone shouldn't work. We I should not. I can't fly because my phone isn't working. Oh, oh my battery died or something. Yeah. So, um, but then how do you know the lab isn't a fly by night um, organization, right? I mean, well, we, we're going to have, I mean, we, there has to be some level of trust. Trust, right. So, um, you know, we have to trust that. Well, it's not always quest diagnostics, <laughs> but if you're in some foreign country where it's just, or actually here in the US, where um, you know people are just irreputable because they want it, but but this is what Ayada needs to think about, and I hope they're thinking about this. Uh, I am sure yep. they're thinking about it, right? They but, have to. Yeah, but you can't. You can't trust passengers. You just can't. No. Uh, I mean, the, the, it's not just passengers; it's people. Yeah. Right. You, yeah, you you just can't. I mean, the, the guy showed up on the flight to Hawaii and didn't take and said he was didn't have coronavirus, and he did. The other guy jumped on the plane. He said he didn't have coronavirus, and he did. And somebody had to help him on the plane, and he died. And in fact, possibly infecting all the people that was on that flight. So a few people ruin it for everybody. Exactly. But... So um, I <laughs> sorry about the dog. Well, he that barked. sounds professional. I know he barked. <laughs> at... he... Well, see, that's what the dog thinks about it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. All right. Um, so so I, these, uh, if you guys are listening, these are the concerns that we have in terms of this travel pass. It's a good idea, um, but you got to make sure it's foolproof for the people around the world that are going to try to um, get over. All right. Yep. Uh, what do we have? I think that's all the topics we had for this. No, we have one more. Uh, we do? Yeah. Oh, yes. Airport. Yes, yes. So that you're um, going to make fun of, I'm sure. Well, of course, everybody wants to go electric. See, see, you know, you know, this would actually be a good thing for hydrogen because the buses are hydrogen, right? But yep. anyway, um, we've been talking. The whole industry is trying to be more green, uh, quote unquote. Um, but you know, as usual, we have these electric trucks coming out. So, Kusho, tell us what's going on in airports and electric trucks. So. <laughs> A few, is it weeks or months ago, we talked about Newark transitioning to um, electric shuttles between terminals. Yes. And you made a lot of fun about it because I got so excited about it. Well, here's another example. <laughs> De-icing trucks. Uh -huh. So um, not, very pop not very common in the tropics, but um, Thankfully. <laughs> ubiquitous in the north. Uh, and southern hemispheres, extreme north and extreme southern mm -hmm. hemispheres. 
So there's a company called Aeromag, which is based in Montreal in Canada. And they are a company that specializes in, as they call it, integrated de-icing ops. Um, in the last five years, they have de-iced more than 50,000 aircraft a year. Wow. So they are um, a worldwide leader in de-icing trucks. And what they have done is that they have now started to test an electric truck that was designed and manufactured by a company called Vestigard, um, which is based outside of Copenhagen in Denmark. And um, it supposedly has 87% uh, less greenhouse gas emissions than a traditional diesel powered truck. Now this was another thing that got me. Why is it only 87 and not 100% uh, lower emissions? There's something that is not quite complete in this Aviation Week um, article that I read yeah. about this, but um, they're, as I said, testing this electric truck um, in Montreal right now. It's supposed to reduce um, uh, carbon dioxide emissions per truck per year by 35 tons with this conversion from diesel to electric. Um, but what really got me is that this truck is now equipped with, this is Aeromag's marketing, mm -hmm. talking about a new radar system for nozzle purity, for um, a nozzle, sorry, that perfectly positions it at an ideal distance on the aircraft for optimal glycol application. So glycol is the main, ethylene glycol is the main yeah. um, ingredient for de-icing. And I had no idea there was so much technology involved in just that nozzle that sprays the aircraft with that fluid. Yeah. And what is even more impressive is that Aeromag has devised a means to recycle most of the de-icing fluid that is sprayed on an aircraft and is wasted essentially as it flows off and they can recycle it back to more than 99.5% purity, which is amazing. Yeah, that's the stuff that goes on the ground, right? Yes. That's so you, I mean, they hardly ever do it at gates. You right. invariably have to go to a certain location. Yeah. To yeah, get de-iced before you take off. Yes. And most of the airports that are properly set up, um, they just have a pad. <clears> and yes. all the planes just go through that pad. And take off as soon as possible. Yeah, it, it's very cool to watch. <laughs> yeah. So, but again, I thought this was a positive development. But again, I don't know why am I missing something? Who is going to generate all this electra, extra electricity that we're going to need to power all these extra electric everything? It's going to come from the air, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it better, right? From yeah, wind, I, solar, I, and... Uh, what else? Yeah, and, Wait, and that's, no, the thing with, that's the thing with electric, right? Is that it, it, electricity has to come from somewhere. Um, we saw that we had that issue in Texas. <laughs> yes. So let's. So they have to figure out how do I. Uh, I, I know. I, I I get it, right? I get why we why we need to do this, but we need to 
we can't take the energy from one place and use energy in another place to so we're gonna have to plug these things in exactly so and i guess it's the same with hydrogen right you have to produce it right. that uses electricity so, so i guess it's six of one half dozen of the other yeah so then is it, <clears throat> is it does it balance out are we using apparently are we it's using more less? cost effective right to use are electricity we, but how than hydrogen yeah but how expensive are these trucks so when you look at the whole thing, right? So let's say you have this truck right now, which is using gas, right? And it costs you $10. Uh, by the time I upgrade the new truck or buy the new truck and uh, plug it in and do all that, is it gonna cost me $7 or is it gonna cost me $12? Well, they conveniently left that out, but I guess you could find out, right? If you go to the best of God and do enough research on the cost of an electric truck, but just based on the um, examples we have with electric cars, they mm -hmm. are more expensive um, out the gate. Yeah, and, so, and, you, and you have to, um, you know, I've, I know people who have them and um, they had to modify the house so yes. they could um, put their plug thing out there and now the cars are plugged into it. And so, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, uh, so there is, your infrastructure requirements. There's infrastructure requirement. You're totally, and we talked about the long way up yesterday on the on the previous episode, where they had to install these these um, power things all along mm -hmm. the way, which is good because they're there now for um, for future. Yeah. They were in. They were done by Harley Davidson, so I have to give them credit for that. Um, but yeah, so I don't. I I get where we're heading, but it's costing us to get there, and I think people are not seeing that. Yeah, but it would cost us anyway, right? For anything. It would, but it might be costing us more. And I don't know if it balances out in the end. And I don't think anyone has sat down and really, you know, looked at it and said, okay, we are saving a dollar. Over, you know, over 10 years, we will save $10 million. Mm. I don't know what it is, but. But those numbers are so wildly inaccurate anyway, yeah, right? It's just a number that sounds good. Yeah, they make it. I just put out. It's for marketing. <laughs> are we cynical or are we cynical? Well, you know, we're just cynical. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's, but, it's I, 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 I hate hype. I don't want hype. I want stuff that really works and stuff that we can say, oh, wow, yeah, that electric truck is really saving the environment. You know, I don't have to go... So. I don't have to go take down half of the forest so I can burn them to create power so they can so you can plug in the electric truck. <laughs> so maybe one of your audience members is a Vestigard employee in Denmark and can explain why it's only 87% more efficient and All not right. 100%. I will try to tag them on his Vestigard. <laughs> you yeah. do that. Yeah. Well, well, the good thing is that, you know, whenever I promote these, I can, I can tag them and say, hey, you know, we talked about this. And then, you know, maybe maybe we can have a Vestigard guy come on, a girl, and see what goes going on. So it doesn't look that different from a regular truck, just based on the picture they had, a regular de-icing truck. Yeah. But I'm amazed at the, no the radar technology that yeah. goes into the nozzle. I've seen the nozzle do certain things, but I didn't realize it had all that fancy stuff. Yeah. 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 De-icing. Because it's always an operator who controls yeah. it. Yeah. So um, uh, thankfully, when I worked, I worked on the ramp in D.C. and we never 
we never had to de-ice anything. As I never learned how to de-ice, um, but it's it's not fun. It just makes a mess, and then the little thing have to come around and clean it all up. And when mm. you work outside in the ramp, um, I mean, God bless the people who work on the ramp in cold in cold weather. Yep, amazing. Yep, um, you have to love that job to do it. And it's a fun job. It, it, it really it's also hard, right? It is very hard. You you in work the heat your back in the off. rain in the yep. cold, and you have those uncomfortable um, <laughs> shoe with the with the metal thing on the toes because you don't want stuff to drop on your feet. Um, oh, you is get, that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Delta had a requirement that you had to have a metal toe okay. on the ramp. So, which is why when I see some of these guys wearing um, like sneakers and stuff, I think now they're making sneakers with metal toes. So you said hmm. so they're a little more comfortable, but it's all it's those darn boots that you had to wear on the ramp because if something falls on your foot, you don't want to lose your toes. Um, and then you have to jump in the bin, and people are falling out of the bin because the distance of yeah. a seven five seven bin to the ground is about, I think it's about two or three stories. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty, yeah. pretty high, or maybe maybe about two stories. But yeah, if high you enough, fall, right? Yeah, if you fall out of a seven five seven bin you may break a leg. <laughs> so uh, it's quite dangerous on the ramp, uh, but I enjoyed it. I was actually one of my fun jobs. And you, you get to hate it after a while just because it's backbreaking. Um, but keeps it, you fit though. It does keep you fit. I bet. I was quite fit when I used to do that job, but I'd be so tired when I get home, I, could do, I couldn't do anything. Because you're lifting bags all day um, and... It was a thankless job. Yeah, because no one appreciates what you do when you think about it. Right, you know, and then occasionally I had to bring somebody's bag in a box because their old suitcase opened on the flight and everything is out of it. And then they're complaining to the airlines that we missed. I was like, no, your suitcase was old. The lock was bad and you you should not have put that suitcase in there in the first place. But, you know, you can't really tell customers that you go, I'm so sorry. If you want to make a claim, go with the baggage claim and make a claim. All right. So. <laughs> I rambled. Um, is that it for this story? Yes. All right. Very cool. Um, wow. That was kind of interesting reminiscing about my, uh, <laughs> my ramp days. Uh, oh, God. Uh, all right. Cool. So that's all we have for you for today. Um, it is a short episode, although it's not really short. I think it's maybe about 45 minutes. You know, we can turn a 10, we can turn a 10 minute episode in an hour because it's easy. <laughs> but then you lose viewers uh, if you I, fluff it up too much. No, no, well, it's not fluffing. I mean, all this stuff. No, that's true. That's true. Actually quite good, right? Um, but now we're fluffing. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thanks you for listening to, I think this episode is 74. Um, no, it is 74. I'm keeping track now. You're keeping track. Clearly, I'm the more responsible one. <laughs> I, that's okay. We need someone to be more responsible. <laughs> uh, remember, you can find us on Spotify. And uh, I need to check. I think I had gotten a comment. Uh, let me check real quick, real quick. Um, Da, da, da. Uh, no, no, no. Okay, no, that's the other one. You, uh, nope, nope. Uh, 737, good days. No, I know we have one, but I can't find it. So I'm going to have to use it. Sorry, I should have been a little, a little more prepared. Um, we can talk about it next time. 
yeah let's talk about it next time because i don't think i have that one here um um yeah, no, so. I don't think I have the comment. All right. So remember, um, if you have a comment, just email us feedback at passrather.com. Um, or uh, you know, you can go to passrather.com slash WHIT and listen to the episodes. And you can click on the contact button and send us a message. So um remember we are on Spotify, we're on Amazon Music, Google Music. Um Music. Yeah, Google well, it's called Google Podcast. Okay. And um, and actually, a few people listen on Google Podcasts, and uh, Apple iTunes is a big one. And um, if you actually want to sponsor the show, send an email to feedback at passrather.com, um, and we can talk about that. And um, and if you need us for aviation business consulting, we are available. Feedback at passrather.com or passrather.com slash W-H-I-T. Um, that's it. Thank you for listening. Exactly.